You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, if this is your first time to come to Faith and Family, uh, this is a kind of a standing Sunday school class we have. It's meant to um, help parents spiritually invest in their kids. And, uh, you know, with church, one of the big, um, big, big kind of values of our church, we, we believe that the Bible teaches that Spiritually investing in kids is a cooperative effort of both parents and church together. We feel like it's our responsibility to do everything we can to help educate, encourage, and equip you in that. So that's what we try to do in this class if you're new to it. Um, today, the title of this class is Best Things You Can Do for Your Child. This is uh, class two. Fantastic title. Draw, drives attention. Uh, drives attendance, rather. And, um, and today we're going to talk about knowing your own idols. Knowing your own idols um, as, um, as which is 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 the title. We, last week we talked about finding satisfaction in Christ as a best thing you can do for your child. Um, if you're satisfied in Christ, um, then you're generally going to kind of uh, organically lead your children towards Christ. Uh, it's just naturally going to happen. Um, and so today we're going to talk about knowing your idols, and this is such a big one. And it's such a hopeful thing um, because idols tend to drive so much of our fear and our anxiety and our dissatisfaction. Um, and so when you start to understand what the idols are in your life and you start to repent and turn your expectation towards Christ, there is a tremendous amount of freedom from a lot of that fear and anxiety. Um, it's also a really hopeful class because it's one of those things where if you just keep your side of the street clean, like if you in your own spiritual life um, have a sense of your idols and are kind of aware of that and repenting from it, it is naturally and organically just going to carry over to your children and it's going to bless your children. It's not one of those things where you kind of got to know all these different, uh, you got to manage your children or instill this in your kids. Honestly, if you take care of the idols in your life, um, there will be significant benefit for your kids just organically from that sphere of your own life, your own heart that you, you can control. So I'm going to pray for us, and uh, and we'll get going. All right, Jesus, thank you so much um, that you are a true and living God. And um, thank you for these parents. And uh, the fact that they're here suggests that they really do care about their kids, and they want to um, parent in a manner that blesses their children, but also honors and glorifies you. And so help us today. Um, bless us. Give us wisdom. And have mercy on us uh, for the sake of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's the map. Um, here's the map of where we're going to go in this class. First thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is an idol. Uh, we're going to look at that just from a uh, just from a standpoint of like definition. Um, secondly, we're going to talk about how do we identify idols in our own lives. Um, what are some like diagnostic tools we can use to find that? And then third, um, how are we freed from idolatry? Uh, and that's pretty simple. So um, so that being said. Um, First thing I kind of want to say is um, is understand that idol worship is not taught; it is caught. Uh, idol worship, in terms of our kids, it's not something that we teach our kids to do. It's something like explicitly. It's more caught than it is taught. Kids can see by our own behavior the things that we say, the things that we value, the things that we stress about, the things that we emphasize. What our idols are. There's a big theme in the Bible about generational idolatry. And that means basically the idols of parents are handed down to their children. Uh, and that doesn't happen by like genetic, uh, it doesn't descend genetically. Um, that occurs because 
um, our kids observe the idols that we worship and then they to uh, come to those same idols and worship them as well. And so, um, so to, you know, to give you a, a story of that, I, um, uh, I, I know someone and they, an idol for them is money. And that's, that's common. That's, it's a cultural idol in America. And so I honestly, when I meet with people one-on-one, um, both teenagers and adults, and we talk about diagnosis of idols, I have not, I've never met with a, a man who, for whom money was not an idol. And that's because it's a cultural idol in America and we all kind of worship that idol together. Right? You know, why was it that Tua had, you know, he has to go pro. He has to go pro. Which I think that Tua made a good decision. <laughs> I do. You know, I'm not, I'm not in any way, I'm not in any way, you know, making a statement here. But the reason that, the reason that there was this, you know, just like, you know, he has to go is because, you know, because of the money. Because of money, like the possibility that he, he could lose a ton of money. There's not any consideration of like, he could actually have a fruitful, satisfying life if he did not even play pro football. Because it's, it's because, you know, money is, um, I know, you think that's so funny, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. No, um, but it's because of this idol. We, we know money and wealth is thought to be something that's so ultimate. And so, um, so anyhow, that being said, I, I, one person who I met with talked about how money was a big idol for them. And they talked about kind of, we went back and looked at the history of how they came to, you know, elevate um, money as something that's ultimate. And he talked about the way his, his dad would constantly fret about money. And, you know, just always talking about, oh, you know, we're, the, the ship is sinking and we're going bankrupt and in a way that's inappropriate. You know, like there, you know, sometimes your kid's like, hey, mom and dad, I want this. And you're like, that's not in the budget. We can't afford that. That's not inappropriate. Like that's just teaching your kid, you know, wisdom with money that there, there, there are limits and there are budgets. We're talking like the, the inappropriate stress um, about finances the dad would project on the family because he was constantly fretting about it and talking about it. On top of that, the dad would also um, tended to talk about and identify people in terms of their wealth. Like, oh, so-and-so, he does this, he makes a fortune. Oh, so-and-so, like, he inherited all this money. Oh, so-and-so sold this company. And so the dad, it was like, um, the dad was always identifying people in terms of their wealth. And so it wasn't like the dad sat the kids down and said, children, here is a stack of cash and we are all now going to bow down and worship him. Um, what the dad communicated through his fear and um, through the way that he elevated people who are wealthy um, was kids, money is ultimate. Um, money has, is, is not something that's good, it's something that's God. And so that's why I say idol, um, idol worship is not something that is taught explicitly, it's something that is caught based on what we value. And so with that being said, the more we kind of have clarity on our, our idols, the more we repent from our idols, and we elevate God as, as the only ultimate thing, the more our kids will pick up on that, you know? Um, it's funny how there are kids who just, uh, they, they don't care at all about sports. Like, it's always so funny, like, kids who, like, I don't care about Alabama and Auburn. You know, I, I didn't watch the Iron Bowl or things like that, and it's kind of astonishing to everybody. And it's generally because their parents didn't really, don't really care, you know. And so the kids kind of pick up um, these values. All right, so getting into number, point number one, what is idolatry? Uh, it's funny because you know when we talk about idolatry, we look at the first and second commandment. Um, first, first commandment says you should have no other gods except for me. 
So, you know, monotheism, exclusive worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Then we get to, to the second commandment, which is not explicitly idolatry. What the second commandment is really about is it says you need to worship God in the way that, the, that God's word tells you to worship. Um, and so, but here's what the second commandment says. I can remember as a kid, uh, you know, hearing, you know, you should not commit adultery. I mean, sorry, you should not commit idolatry. And you shall not make for yourself an image, as the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love and love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So if anybody's seen the movie uh, Gladiator, um, where the, the, you know, the protagonist is kind of worshiping the household gods. He has these little figurines and he bows down before them and he like worships them and like kisses them and all this kind of stuff. And we look at that, we're like, that is so stupid. You know, how stupid can you be that you'd be worshiping, you know, some clay or wooden figurine and thinking that it's, 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 it's going to, you know, result in some kind of supernatural blessing. And I can remember hearing the first and second commandment when I was a kid and being like, Shh, no problem there. Like I, I'm not gonna, you know, put some some figurine or some statue in my bedroom and, uh, you know, and worship these worship that. How how could these people in the Old Testament, these pagan people and the Israelites when they would worship, how dumb could they be, right? And uh, and it was just a total misunderstanding of uh, of what idolatry is, um, because idolatry at the you know at the base level is when we think that something is good is actually God. We think something that's a blessing of creation and we put it on the same level as the creator. In Romans 1, when it talks about idolatry, um, the way it describes it is the people um, took creation and worshipped it in a manner that was tantamount to the creator. And so it's basically taking something that's good and making it ultimate. Um, and so, with that being said, you know, we start to think that something that's good, that's a, really a gift from God, that it can actually provide for us things that only God can provide for us. So, with that being said, going back to money, you know, I think in terms of, of my idolatry of money, I have this idea that, like, um, you know, if I have a certain amount in the bank and have a certain amount in retirement and a certain amount in the 501c3, the mortgage is paid off, then I'm going to have a sense of peace in my life, Right? And, um, and we all know that that's just not true. You know, I can remember there was a point in my life where I thought if I could make this amount, I would never be worried. You know, I would never worry about money ever again. And I think I make about 20%, 30% more than that mark now. And I worry just as much as I did when I like made zero. And so, um, and so with that being said, like I expect money to give me peace. But in reality, only God can give me peace. Um, or, you know, a lot of times, you know, our, our idols um, have to do with success or certain achievements, certain markers um, that we think will make us feel good about ourselves. You know, that we think, gosh, if I can achieve this, I can get this designation, this degree, um, I can get this kind of position where I can say, I'm the vice president or I'm a partner or whatever, we think I will really feel good about myself. Well, in reality, the only thing that's ever going to make us feel good about ourselves is knowing that we are made in the image of God, uh, knowing that uh, we are a beloved child of God. Like that's the only thing that's really going to give us a sense of security in ourselves, um, because you know and all, we all know how this kind of 
this game of walk 'em all. What, what's the sorry? What's the game? Whack 'em all. Sorry, not walk 'em all was that old craft store. Um, used to be over in Irondale by the old old Walmart that used to be the skating rink. You know, come on, everybody know this skate palace. Anyhow, okay, yeah, walk 'em all, whack 'em all. That's it. Where it's just it's kind of you're on this treadmill and you know you, you keep on climbing this never-ending ladder. Boy, that was a lot of mixed metaphors here. Um, okay, so that's what we're talking about with an idol. So we're going to look at Isaiah 44. And Isaiah 44 um, is um, Isaiah 44 is basically um, God kind of, in a sense, mocking the futility of idols. And you see this in Isaiah second half, Isaiah 40 through 66. So there's this kind of back and forth, particularly in the beginning, where God is saying, saying to Israel, Israel, you worship these false gods, and it's foolish. And then he comes back and he says, this is who I am. Like, I am the true and living God who made heaven and earth. I am the author of all life. Israel, the idols. It's so silly. This is who I am. And so there's this back and forth. And so what you see in Isaiah 44 is this um, is really almost like a, a polemical in the sense of it's almost like satire. It's almost like uh, God through Isaiah is making fun of the uh, uh, making fun of the worship of idols, um, and it's just so darn humiliating because we just like it's just like our it's really kind of our fundamental sin is idolatry for you know no, worshiping something else rather than God, thinking something else is ultimate rather than the Lord, and so starting in verse one, uh, sorry this is not verse one, my bad. Starting in verse nine, Isaiah nine, um, and we're gonna go through twenty. It says, all who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witness, witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. So, you know, he's saying that idols... Like when we take something that's good and we try to make it ultimate, um, it's of no value. Like it's it's futile. It does not accomplish what we're hoping it will accomplish for us, um, which is to, you know to give us that sense of peace or fulfillment or um, self worth. And so notice too at the end where it talks about you hit there's all this language of fear. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame. Some of that is the fear that's related to um, to the judgment of God, but Here's the thing about it. Uh, this is such a great quote from Zach Hicks. There are two zinger quotes from Zach Hicks that are worth uh, tucking away in your pocket. Um, but this one is he and I are having a conversation, and he he was he was angry about something, and he said, generally where there's fear and anger, there's an idol involved. Where there's fear and anger, there's an idol involved. And here's why it makes such sense is because you know we are made to worship the true God. We're made to worship a God who is completely reliable, like who always comes through, who's perfect, who has no need, who always keeps his word, um, who loves us perfectly, who cares for us perfectly. And when you're worshiping an idol, uh, that, that, that's what we need. Like that's the expect, we need to be able to put our expectation to something that's that rock solid reliable. When we worship an idol, you know, we're worshiping something that's not, that's not even real, but certainly not reliable. And so, as a result, like, can you imagine if, like, the news came out today in a, in a true, in a true and authoritative manner, and it was like uh, the triune God that we know of in the Bible—he died last night, or like he didn't show up for work, 
Now that would be a bona fide problem, you know? If, if like this guy that we have all this, think about how much we bank our lives on Jesus and on God, right? And all of a sudden that God who we're assuming is going to like bring us to heaven when we die, who's with us, who hears us, who forgives our sins. What if we found out he was not reliable? I mean, that is a jump off a building kind of problem. That's a big time problem. Uh, and we would freak out, legitimately freak out if Yahweh did not show up for work or we found him to not be reliable. Well, that is why idols inherently create such a sense of fear and anxiety. It is because we put the expectation of a perfectly reliable God on something that's not reliable and that's not even real. Um, and so as a result, when we think about the things in our lives that make us anxious and that where we harbor a great deal of fear, there's usually that's usually a good indicator that there's some idolatry, that there may be some idolatry involved. Now, obviously, there are some fears that are like legit, you know, and, and, and sometimes fear is really a blessing from the Lord. Um, but a lot of times our fears and anxieties that aren't necessarily uh, proportional, aren't reasonable, aren't necessarily appropriate, that's usually a good indicator um, that there's some idolatry involved. Um, and also, we get angry because we expect the idol to perform in a way that God performs. Like, come on, idol! You know, you're, you're supposed to make me happy. You're supposed to make me uh, feel a sense of peace. You're supposed to make me feel like I am in control, and it just doesn't come through for you. And, it, and, and, and because of that unmet expectation, there is anger. So going to verse 12, it says, The ironsmith, uh, sorry, what he's going to do, and this is, this is cool. This is great writing. Good job, God. Um, this is great writing. He's going he's gonna to do this me- extended metaphor where, you know, he talks about a woodsmith taking wood and making it into something that's useful and good, like using it for fire, using it for a house. And so he's going to talk about a person taking something that's good, that's a gift from God, and using it appropriately, and then taking that same thing and fashioning it into an idol and how kind of senseless that is. And so to start out, he says, the ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the over the coals. He fashions it with, a ham- with hammers and works it with, his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it, in, in, shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with, a, with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for man. He takes part of it and warms it. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. So notice that he's saying, like, wood is good. This is a gift from God. It's being used appropriately, using it for shelter, using it for warmth, using it for fuel to cook food. Good thing, in its right place. Okay, so then he says, also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. So he's worshiping it. Half of it he burns in the fire. So he's using it for good. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied and also warms himself and says, Aha, I'm warm, I've seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into an idol, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. So one thing to notice is that we create our own idols. Like we make our own idols. It is out of our sin that we take things that are good and we elevate them to God. Uh, Notice that the guy here is crafting his own idol. And so, um, and so with that being said, uh, it, it's, it's, um, it's just our natural propensity as sinners. 
Um, that is just kind of how we roll. Um, we get something good and we just take it to the next level and put an unrealistic expectation or divine expectation into it. Um, a second thing, he says, deliver me. So there's this expectation. He's asking the idol to do something that only the true God can do. Like only the true God can deliver us. Only the true God can save us. Um, and yet he's expecting something of creation to do that. Um, and then finally, um, he, um, well, sorry, we'll move on to the next part. So you can, you can start to see what's going on here. Same wood being used appropriately in one context and then being elevated to idolatry in the next. All right, so going on to 18, it says, They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes. So they cannot see in their hearts, so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? <laughs> shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes a deluded heart. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Idols are so subtle, and it's, they're just like so natural because part of that's our sin, but it's also because it's very hard to make this delineation between, hey, this is something that is good. Like, this is something that is a blessing. And then when it crosses the line to become something that's ultimate, you know, like our kids, like they are good. They are a blessing. And a lot of times we make them into an idol. And, you know, we a lot of times we think that, no, I'm being a great parent. But really, you know, we maybe have put ultimate expectations in our kids um, or something like sex. Sex is good. Gift from God. But then when it becomes something ultimate, uh, boy, that creates a whole lot of problems. Alcohol. Alcohol can be a really nice thing. Um, but, or, or drugs, you know, a lot of, a lot of medic, like medications are a blessing, right? But then when they cross that line, that's when they become an addiction, when they become an ultimate thing. And really, uh, there's a phenomenal, um, teaching series by Julie Sparkman called Idol Addiction. And she just basically says that addiction is just another word for idolatry. It's just a different kind of idol. He says, just basically repeatedly thinking, uh, that your idol is going to come through, even though it never comes through for you. And just trying to, Elevate it, elevate it, so it doesn't, and it doesn't work. So all that to say, that's part of why it's so hard. Part of it's because of our sinful nature that it's hard. But part of it's because we're talking about good things crossing the line and becoming ultimate in a manner that's idolatrous. All right, so then the question... Oh, and so we've got this little uh, got this little chart here for you. I love a chart. I love a good table. Uh, so notice here, this is the idols table. And um, uh, the idols table, and you can take this one home. It says, um, I'm not going to ask for it at the end of class, <laughs> um, but it says, uh, you know, it, it goes through some of these characteristics. They're man-made. They demand sacrifices. And man, think about the sacrifices. You know, but think about in the old days, you had an idol uh, like Moloch, and one of the required sacrifices for Moloch was to sacrifice a child. That's a big time sacrifice. Um, or, you know, people would, would put different things like sacrifice an animal before Baal or different things like that. Think about the sacrifices we make for our idols. You know, uh, if work is an idol for you, a success is an idol for you, it's a big one for, uh, for men uh, in particular, but that's going to be true for anybody. Man, think about the sacrifice, what we sacrifice to that idol a lot of times, the idol of success. Sacrifice our health, sacrifice, you know, our marriages. Sacrifices, uh, sacrifice our relationship with our kids. I mean, how many, how many men, uh, in particular, not just hating on the men. It's not, I know it's not exclusive to men, but how many men, like, their marriages fall apart, or they don't know their kids, or you know, they have a heart attack very, very early on because 
they're you know they have basically made such sacrifices to success and work as an idol. Um, then uh, you know it has ultimate expectations. It's delusional. And then here's this is a another zinger of a quote, not from Zach. This is from Scotty Smith. Uh, we'll talk about this in a second. Scotty says, "Behind every idol is usually a story and a wound." Um, you can usually like behind our own idols, we can usually go back to our childhood uh, and identify you know, identify some kind of wound, some kind of stress or anxiety. Um, there's, there's usually a story behind our idols. Um, and then the fallout, like what is the fallout from our idols? So that, that's just one, uh, you know, that you can, you can kind of look at at home to think about your own idols. All right, so how do we identify our idols? Um, that's on the back sheet of the table. Um, the idol, the, uh, um, idols diagnostic questions. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is actually something that Gil Cracky and I um, worked on, uh, kind of in, had a conversation, I made it into a worksheet. But here are some questions to ask yourself when you're trying to get a sense of what, you know, how to identify your idols. Um, what are situations where you routine, routinely tend to worry and experience fear? Uh, you know, I, so by the way, take, take this home and do this. I, I, I encourage it. This is one of the, uh, you can just, yeah, go ahead and say it. Okay. This is one of those things where, like, um, uh, man, should I say this? <laughs> I'll just say in terms of like taking a step forward in your maturity as a Christian, when you become aware of your idols and you start to uh, under, you know, diagnose them a little more, analyze them a little bit, and start to repent, like that is a major step in your Christian maturity um, in terms of having that as a part of your life. So that, there's, some, there's some hope and encouragement in that. Um, Okay, so what are some situations where you routinely tend to worry and experience fear? Number two, what are situations where you tend to feel angry? Um, Number three, if things were to go perfectly, what would life look like in 10 years? What are three to five things that come to mind when you hear that question? You know, for me, it's like, win the lottery, immediately, right? (laughs) So that tells me a good, good, good chance there that, you know, maybe money is one of my idols. Um, Okay, if things were to go very poorly, what would your worst-case scenario look like in 10 years? What are, thing, what are the first three to five things that come to mind? Um, and number five, what are things that are always on your mind or that you tend to obsess over and think about excessively? And by the way, you know, some of these, like I said, some, there's going to be a mixed bag here. But as you answer these five questions, you're going to be able to identify trends. And as you identify trends, that may give you some indication of what your idols may be. And so, you know, to go from, I'll, I'll take this um, kind of from beginning to end. In, turn, in, in my own life, I'll throw, throw, throw some uh, skin uh, in the game. And uh, so for me, um, an idol is academics. Uh, academics and doing well in school. And so how does that play out? So, you know, this is, this is so funny. I started kindergarten at Cherokee Bend in 1985. I have only had about six years since then where I have not been in school in some manner. Uh, and I'm 40 years old. Lord have mercy, right? I know, awful. Um, that's what happens when it takes 10 years to finish your seminary degree. Um, but anyhow, so with that being said, y'all, my grades do not matter. They do not matter, right? I'm 40 years old. I just need to get the stupid degree. Just get the MDiv. Check the box, Cameron. Do you think that I don't like fret about my grade on my exam or, uh, you know, I study really hard, I, you know, and, and I, I want to make an A? Lauren, have I shed this idol? 
a big fat no, right? I was like griping about, um, I was griping about like how I felt like a, I, I wrote a paper on something that I have a book published on and I got a B minus on the paper. <laughs> Come on, right? And I was just like, does this professor know who I am? You know, just totally angry, totally arrogant, totally self-righteous. And, um, and it brought my grade down and I was so mad. It's like, dude, does this really matter? I was like in a bad mood for a day about this. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's a good indicator there. The anger, the arrogance, you know, all that. There's an idol involved. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. I can remember, you know, like, you're a kid and you're in kindergarten or whatever. And I could, I could read early. Like I had an older sister and, uh, she just would sit me down when I was like four years old. And she, you know, she kind of had the mommy thing going on and she would just like grill me on like letters and words. And I'll be darned. I show up to kindergarten reading because my sister just, you know, drilled it in. She's four years older than me. Um, anyhow, so with that being said, like in first and second grade, when the other students would do phonics, I, I like, because I could read so well, I didn't have to do the phonics. I could just go with this other girl named Claire, and she and I would go sit in a separate area, and we would read while everybody was working on phonics. So how do you think I felt? I felt pretty good about myself, right? And so then third grade comes around, and I got an enrichment for the gifted students, right? And so, so you can see, like, go back to the beginning, and I, like, had this, I, I found this sense of self-worth, because I did well in school. And so that just like continued. You know, I was always neurotic about studying and making all A's and be so frustrated with A minuses. I made an A minus in every single class in college before. I was just an A minus student, just an A minus student. Anyhow, it drove me crazy. But anyhow, so, um, so with that being said, it was a huge idol. Okay, so now let's think about, um, let's think about that. So school provided something for me that really only God can provide. Um, I expected school to give me a sense of self-worth, uh, a sense of feeling good about myself. And really, that's just another way of saying that school could make me righteous. Uh, and that's like when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, he forgives your sins, he makes you righteous. And righteous means that you're just perfectly acceptable. You're perfectly acceptable to God. There's nothing you can do to better yourself. There's nothing you can do to take that away. Like, you are enough. And that is something that comes through Christ. And so with that being said, I thought that school could justify me and make me righteous. And I still, you know, that, that, that it's still there. Um, and so with that being said, now let's think about it. What do you think I tend to have a lot of trouble backing down on with my kids? School, right? Or where do I kind of get, maybe feel a little bit arrogant, right? If I have a, a child who is a really good reader and who is really smart and like knows the catechism really well. I'm like, ha ha ha, that is my child, right? <laughs> you know? And so, and so I, there is a danger of me affirming that child too much in that way, such that I am teaching her to worship that idol in the same way that I have worshiped that idol and continue to. And so, um, so with that being said, I have to be aware of that idol. <laughs> um, or, it, you know, or if it turns out I have a child who really struggles in school, you know, they, they are just kind of a little bit, uh, you know, slower to learn things and they're, you know, they're, 
they're, they're maybe going to struggle in school. Maybe they're going to be like a C student and, uh, man, what is the temptation for how I'm going to feel about that child? Yeah, I might feel this sense of shame or disappointment, and they're totally going to pick up on that. And what is there also a temptation to do? There's a temptation for me to overcompensate, for me to be like, this is not acceptable. Like, come on, buddy. Like, we got to get this going and put pressure on the child. And so basically, um, I am, in either case, because of my idol, there is a huge potential that if I'm not constantly repenting, constantly digging down into the childhood roots of this um, and repenting, uh, that I'm gonna I'm gonna basically hand the same idol to my children um, that I have. I'm gonna teach them to worship, but it's all gonna be implicit. None of it's gonna be explicit. It's all gonna be explicit. It's gonna flow out of me. Uh, and so, so that's just to give you an example. So now here's the last thing. What is what's the hope here? Like. We don't, you don't just say, I'm not going to worship those idols uh, because your heart has a need. Like you're going to those idols because your heart has a legitimate need that has to be met. And so if you're just not worshiping those idols, you're, the need's still not met. So you're going to go somewhere. So you, you can't, you have to say no to something. You have to say yes to something better. And so the, the kind of, the, the freedom from idols um, is that we turn and we seek the satisfaction of that need in God. We seek the satisfaction of that need in Christ. And so, um, so with that being said, uh, th- sorry, let's go to, um, well, well, y'all don't have this. I have it in my notes, but y'all don't have it. I'm just going to read it out loud. After this uh, passage, um, after this passage where, um, you know, God talks about the futility of idols, um, he continues on in verse 21, and y'all don't have this, so you'll just have to listen. It says, remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing. O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. And so this is, here's your second Zach Hicks zinger quote, is that we worship our way out of idols. Um, We trust our way out of idols. And so with that being said, uh, as we get a sense of what our idols are, and let's say your idol is money, you need to get an understanding, what is it that I want that idol to provide for me? And And if I want it to provide a sense of security and peace, then I need to turn to the Lord. And I need to remember that the Lord gives me security and peace. You know, I need to thank the Lord that he gives me security and peace. I worship the Lord expectantly saying like, Lord, you give me security and peace. Like you're my provider. You promised to provide for me. And that is how we are freed from idols. Not by just saying no, but by saying yes to the Lord. If my idol is school and what that idol provides for me is a sense of self-worth, well, I need to turn to Jesus and remember that Jesus has justified me. Not School can't justify me. Jesus already has justified me. Jesus has already made me enough. He, he's forgiven all my shortcomings, and he's made me righteous. And so I'm enough in Christ. I need to remember that. I need to thank the Lord for that. I need to worship the Lord for that. Um, and that, that can satisfy my need. God, then, is satisfying my need, not the idol. And so to, kind of, to land the plane, um, we... Um, 
you know, as we, as, as I think it's a key thing, I've given you a lot of stuff here and I've said a lot of different things. Um, but I encourage you to do some of this stuff, to do some of this work and to, to try to get a sense on what some of your idols are. Uh, in particular, to figure out what is the need that I expect that idol to provide for me. Is it control? Is it a sense of peace? Is it a sense of worth? Is it uh, the hope of provision? Um, is it joy and happiness and transcendence? You know, uh, get a sense of the need, and then the key thing is to then seek the the satisfaction of that need in Christ, based on His promises, based on the promises He makes of the, of the ways that He's meant to satisfy our hearts. Um, and that's all I have to say about that. I'm going to pray. I'm going to answer a few questions, and um, and then on my calendar just popped up preaching 11 o'clock. Uh, so I'm going to do that. Okay. Um, Father, thanks for, uh, thanks, thank you that you enlighten us through your word. You don't leave us to, um, you don't leave us to languish and despair in our idolatry. And thank you, God, that you've forgiven us. Um, you know, you, you know that we struggle with this and you know that this is our, our default mode. And, um, and that's why you, you, you sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we can know that we're accepted, uh, in spite of our idols. And, uh, Father, teach us, um, convict us on where we need to repent, and um, more than anything, God, turn our hearts to you. May we seek our satisfaction in Christ. I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.